Hey everyone, I believe that gratitude has been such an instrumental part of making my own recovery and life better that I want to create something called the Gratitude Zone. And what this is, is I would love for you, the listener, to send me a two to three minute audio clip letting me know who you are, what it is you do, what you're grateful for, and why. And then we're going to be posting it on future episodes of The Road Beyond Recovery. Feel free to send that to Tamar at theroadforward.ca and there will be more information in the show notes. When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. And today we're going to continue on with the team from Touched by Addiction. We're going to be chatting with Adam And I just love these episodes, absolutely love these episodes and what they do. And we're going to continue to promote this, to raise money, to get people into treatment. So if you know someone who's struggling or you yourself is struggling, reach out, visit them at www.touchedbyaddiction.com. But before we get into today's episode, let's share a little bit of gratitude. And I'm just grateful that I got to talk to these guys this week. I mean... All of them are enthusiastic and it just continues to prove that those of us who have overcome addiction and or um, adversity, we have so much to give and so much to offer. We're go-getters, right? We have so much potential. So I am just incredibly grateful to be surrounded by people like Adam and the rest of the Touched by Addiction team. You know, we talk about that in the interview about how it's so cool that we just met, but yet we feel connected. We feel like we've known each other forever. And I think that's a really, really special part about building that fellowship within recovery. So that is what I'm grateful for today. And on the episode today, Adam shares his story of overcoming his own addiction, you know, how he got clean and sober. We talk about his faith in God and what that's done for his recovery. And we also talk about the fact, right, that that's something that is usually a part of recovery. And in the beginning, that used to scare me, right? But I thought, hey, it's more, it's it scares me more to go back out and see where that path would lead than to take a chance, discover what my own higher power is and build that foundation in recovery. We also talk about what inspired Adam to be a part of Touched by Addiction and the family there and how you can help support the cause and join the movement. So if you know someone who needs help, make sure you reach out to these guys. Again, their website is www.touchedbyaddiction.com. And even if you buy a hoodie, a t-shirt, I believe they got some toques for the winter season. If you, every, every um, purchase you make, that just helps fund 
getting people into long-term treatment and getting the help they need. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back, everybody. I'm hanging out with Adam from Touched by Addiction today. How are you, Adam? I'm blessed. How are you? (laughs) I am doing great. And we probably should have recorded our conversation beforehand because we had such a good discussion about, you know, our early recovery and what life looks like today, the way that we can give back. But we can get into all that during uh, this episode. But I guess I want to start off with you know, I always like to start with what it was like growing up, because I think we all have such different stories. And I want to, you know, end that stigma, not only of addiction, but also that you have to have a horrific upbringing to fall into addiction. Because of course, that wasn't my my story. I had a very loving upbringing. And it was just the simple fact that I used alcohol to numb my emotions and to because I didn't want to deal with any emotions right I didn't have the ability to but also because it ran in my family right as soon as I took my first drink I call it liquid gold um, everything changed right so what was life like growing up for you and what led to that moment where you started to enter that world of addiction it's it's crazy that you mentioned that so my upbringing was was good as well like um I, I have both parents. I had two sisters. So I was born in Burnaby, British Columbia. Uh, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment, all, all five of us. So we didn't have much, but we were very loving, very close, very very tight-knit family. Um, my, my parents both grew up without much. So they really wanted us to have a life that they never had. And, and so they, they worked really hard and um, just overcame so many obstacles to, to provide for us. And so, you know, we, we started moving around a lot and uh, continued to progress, right, from an apartment to a house, renting a house to a farmhouse to, you know, just kind of going up that ladder. Um, yeah, so life was, was really good. Um, I, w- I was really close with my younger sister, Ashley. We were one year apart in age. You know, I'm close to my older sister as well. But uh, me and her were a lot alike and, and did a lot of the same things. So uh, life progressed until we, we moved out this way. I think I got out here when I was around grade three. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that moment that, you know, you started, I don't know what your drug of choice, mine, mine was alcohol. And then of course I moved into much more because the reality was that I wanted anything that would change my, you know, anything mind altering, I would ingest. I wasn't, as soon as I had alcohol, I wasn't scared to to touch anything else. So, you know, how did everything start? And then you know, what led to the moment where you decided I have to stop, like I can't live this life anymore. So I would say high school, you know, throughout grade school, like I, I think I got caught up in that whole um, vanity lifestyle. The, you know, I, I really lost track of who I was. I am a loving, kind person. You know, I enjoyed sports and all this growing up. But once you reach high school, you start to realize like those, I mean, I guess some people do, but I, I didn't, to, to be popular, to fit into this world or to be, you know, people really enamored a lifestyle that that wasn't healthy and and so I kind of got sucked in into that and I started partying experimenting with drugs um you know obviously starting with marijuana but quickly to uh, a lot of cocaine ecstasy was big when I was you know I'd go to the nightclubs and and just live this extravagant lifestyle and then after um 
after high school, I started to work on cruise ships. So I, I actually got to travel around the world working on cruise ships, uh, drinking, partying, um, just making lots of money, uh, just really enticed into that lifestyle of I'll, I'll be happy when, you know, I'll be happy when I have a nice car. I'll be happy if I have some jewelry, some money, more girls, whatever it was. I, I tried to to fill the void in my life with with all these things. And, and so my drug experimentation continued to escalate as, as I made more money, right? Like, but I would never have called it an addiction, but I mean, I was doing it every weekend and sometimes during the week. Um, I guess <coughs> at the, at the age of 25, um, I, I was still doing the cruise ship thing and, uh, and, and I, I, I was notified that I, I had a son, you know, I, I, lived a very promiscuous lifestyle and, and um, I, I'd slept with a girl and, and she became pregnant. And uh, so I, I, I guess I, I wanted to force responsibility. You know, I thought, okay, I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to settle down. I'm going to, I'm going to change everything, right? Just, I can do this. And, and so I bought the house, I settled down and, and uh, around that time I, I would use Percocets. So after a hard days of work or something like that, I would take a few Percocets and, and uh, smoke a joint and I was on top of the world. And, and one day I went to get the Percocets and, and the guy didn't have anybody had uh, oxys. And, and so he said, here, try these. And I would break them into quarters and, and, uh, and then I started sniffing them. And, and then that just escalated rapidly to, you know, I got to the, in the height of my oxy addiction, I was probably doing like 10, 10 a day, you know? And um, I remember trying to stop a few times and one time in particular and getting sick, the withdrawal. So going to the doctors and, and, and saying like, I, I don't know, I'm just depressed. I don't want to do anything. Like I, I don't feel good. I don't want to go to work. I got no motivation. And I didn't know, I didn't know I was in withdrawal. I didn't understand, you know? And so I was open and honest and she said, yeah, you're in withdrawal. I told her what I was using. And, and so I, I guess, you know, for me, that was information. So I was like, oh, if that's all I need to get to not feel this way, then I continued down that path. And, and uh, quickly I started, you know, I was missing bill payments. Uh, you know, I had the heat shut off. Uh, credit was just, I was racking up credit cards and lines of credit and it just got crazy. And, and so then finally I, I said, okay, I need help. Like, you know, and uh, I went to a month long treatment center. Uh, it was, it was good. Like it was, it was a new eye-opening experience for me. I hadn't really been to any meetings or anything like that, you know? So that was my first taste of that and, and talking about addiction and, and, and meeting other people who had struggled or were having similar struggles. But I, I left there after a month and I came home and kind of like what we were talking about in our earlier discussions, I was going to the gym, but I was just white knuckling it. I, I hadn't experienced that freedom. I didn't have my the love for myself or my self-worth, you know? And so I, I, I shortly got sucked back in, uh, hanging around the same people that I was hanging out with before I left. And, and they had graduated to using uh, needles. The price of Oxycontin had gotten so high that people turned to heroin. And uh, so that opiate high was something that uh, no other drug had really given me, that euphoric feeling without the uh without the hangover you know it was 
it was very appealing to me and it and it and it and I liked it and and so you know my first shot with the heroin and then uh, I would use other painkillers intravenously and uh, I, that graduated to uh, fentanyl and I, I was a I was a daily fentanyl user um, somewhere along those lines I I tried again at treatment like uh, the time frame kind of catches up with me. I, I don't know exactly. My first one was 25. I'm, I'm 39 now. So somewhere, I don't know, along in the middle there, I went to a six month treatment center and um, same thing. And they addressed the, uh, the physical aspect, cognitive behavioral therapy, counseling, uh, all these things. And, um, but I didn't find that freedom. And, and so I got clean six months, you know, I, I was physically fit. I really enjoy working out and stuff, uh, came out from there and relapsed again. And, and I, I don't know how many people you've interviewed, but I know my experience was trying to get clean and then relapsing after was one of the worst things because now it's like, well, I tried, but I failed. I'm broken. You know, like other people find success here, but I can't seem to. I, there's something wrong with me. And and that, of course, plummeted me lower and my self-worth lower and my drug addiction ramping up, you know, to, to mask the pain. You know, I, I, I used to use to escape the feelings of inadequacy. I, I was a horrible father. I was I was a horrible brother, a son. You know, like uh, things that were really important to me now were were just crumbling, and and I wasn't, I wasn't being responsible. I wasn't facing them, and and so, I guess yeah, that really escalated me, and uh, I I would got stuck in the spin cycle of like, you know, I would I would get on the methadone and and I would clean up for a bit, maybe get an apartment. I I would always say the height of it would be like cable TV, and then lose everything, and then get up, you know, to and so lots of time in and out of the shelter system, crisis beds, um, you know, different resources that are around for, to help people. Um, I don't know how many times check into the detox, but leave, you know? Um, and so the height of it was, I guess, like we spoke about, I, I really started to get bad into the, to the psychosis like anytime I used uh, crystal meth or crack, um, my mind would just go into some dark evil places and and I would think that everyone was against me or after me and and it, it would scare me uh, I'll be quite honest with you it really really scared me and uh um so like I said my younger sister and I were very close she kind of went down the same path as me and so we would lose touch for a bit but we 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 kind of joined back together here and there and um so the uh fast forward to like just a couple years ago and and uh, we'd cross paths, uh, you know, she, she was in the trap house and I, I was going in there and, and seeing her rough like that. I said, come on, I got a place. Let's go. Brought her home. Uh, we kind of made this pact. All right, let's do this. Let's get clean together. Let's do this. And um, uh, my place that I brought her to, that quickly turned into to a bit of a trap house. So um, it just wasn't good. Uh, I had one really bad psychosis and, and I, I, I broke everything. So I was getting evicted, you know, I'd smashed all the furniture and, and just not, not good. Right. And, and so at the end of that month, we were to, to kind of start this treatment process together. 
but obviously we got evicted before then. So we ended up on the street. Uh, she went to live with another dealer and, and I was on the street and um, it was cold out. And uh, yeah, I, I went to, to, to come to my parents and my relationship with them was obviously not good. You know, they heard the promises how many times they, you know, and, and uh, so they didn't really want me around or, or want me to come in. And, and my older sister was there. And so she took me in and, and said that she'd give me a place to stay as long as I, I uh, continued to seek help. So that was kind of the, the turning point for me. I remember even during those psychoses and being scared, you know, like we talked about, I, I am a, a man of faith. Uh, so I didn't know God prior to that, but I knew that if evil existed, good had to exist. And I was seeing evil all around me. So I started crying out to God. I said, God, I don't know who you are. I don't, you know, but if you get me out of these situations, I, I will fight for you. And like, it, it's like your, your, your life kind of came, my life anyways, came to like uh, the epitome, right? Where I could have went one way or the other and, and, and the options to go the other way. Like I was getting into some heavy stuff with some bad people and, and, and people wanted me to do different things that didn't align with who I was, who I, that I didn't feel good about, that I knew that I, 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 I didn't want to do. But in order to get that next fix, where do you draw the line, right? That line keeps getting blurry and blurry. And, and so then that's when I really started crying out to God and, and some, some big things happened. He answered the call. Let's just say that. And, and so I was able to get out of there and yeah, that was, that, that was like, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. And you know, it's interesting because you and I were talking about beforehand about God and higher power. And I think that Anybody who's gone into treatment or into some sort of 12-step program or recovery program, there's always mention of a higher power of God. Some are Christian-based, some are not. But I think, you know, really the reality of it is that when I came into recovery, I too, you know, I had, I didn't grow up religious, but we went to church. And then, of course, as I went into my addiction, I thought, well, if there's a God, why am I going through this? And then when I got sober slowly starting to accept that I couldn't do this by myself. I had to, you know, cause I remember doing the 12 step program and going, yeah, I'm going to skip the first couple there and I'm just going to move on. And it doesn't work that way because <laughs> I white knuckled it for the very beginning of my recovery. And it wasn't until I finally thought, okay. And I remember it very, very clearly. I had a very profound spiritual awakening, but I went to a friend, she told me, you know what, you're white knuckling it tomorrow. You need to let go and let God. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to let God because look where God got me before. Right. And she goes, just go home and pray that you're going to hear what you need to hear. And I'm going to take you to church service on Sunday. So go home. And I said, okay, fine. Got down on my knees. Right. And I just had a conversation. I'm like, okay, God, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say, but I need you to make it in bright, shiny, object like it has it can't be subtle because i don't do subtle and yep. it, it has to be it. It. <laughs> exactly and so i did that right and i had no idea what i was doing but then i went to church that sunday and it was funny because the youth pastor uh there was a different pastor that time and i had gone a few times because i was like i want to stay sober because it scares me more to go back than it does to be open-minded about seeking a higher power in my yes. life and I just remember this youth pastor stepped on, on the stage and he was good looking. So that drew my attention. I'm like, okay, this is starting off good. 
But he started off when he walked over to my side of the stage. He said, if you're here and you're ready to let go and let God, you're in the right place. And I just like, I still, as I say that out loud, I get tingly. Yeah. Right. But the whole service, he said everything that I had prayed about. And my, the friend who had told me that I had to let go and let God was sitting right beside me at the time, looking at me, like you could tell inside, she was like, I can't believe this is happening. But after that, I have never had a doubt that I have a God in my life, Amen. that there's somebody Amen. watching out for me. And I mean, I wouldn't be here. The reality is, especially today, I mean, if I was using today, I can tell you, I for sure wouldn't be here, but th- I'm so, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think that for me is very similar, but I had to, I had to be humbled. I was yeah. materialistic. I was, I was relying on my own strength. I had found successes early in life. And then it's funny that you say it, and then and so the step two is it, uh, believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Well, I knew where my way was going, so I was open to options, right? Like, that's the way I look at it. I was driving the car, and I drove over the cliff. I was, you know, I was done. So then it's like, it's, there's got to be something outside of you. You know, like, I, I seen where my way got me. I was open to to trying new things, to learning new things, so... I think, but I had to be put into that position that I was. And, and, and I totally can look back now and same as you and see where all through my life, but that point exactly was like when I, okay, I give up, I, I surrender. Right. And surrender is such a powerful thing. It's I, especially, I, I don't want to be set, but as men, you know, the surrendering part is difficult and, and to, to kind of come to that conclusion, like that was probably one of the most powerful things I've ever done was mm-hmm. to, to put my hands up and say, I, I can't, I, I don't, you know, there's n- nothing in me that I, I can't, I'd given up hope. I'd lost hope. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. And yeah, I just, you know, for anybody that's struggling out there, if that scares you, I mean, they all, I always, I'm really grateful that I had amazing people in my early recovery that said, listen, start slow, right? Just pray, yeah. just do the action and start listening. And it was the, the God shots that I got along the way were insane, right? Every time I'm like, oh, okay. And now there's just, I have no doubt. Um, and my needs will always be met. It's allowed me to make decisions in my recovery as well by taking those leaps of faith, right? Following yes. a more purpose-driven life. So yes. let's talk about, you know, when you got clean, what was early recovery like for you? And what was really that key to building your foundation? So I'll just kind of continue where I left off there. So my sister uh, invited me to come in as long as we continued to to get help. I was on my way to a detox facility that we had lined up and then to go to the faith-based treatment. And I had never read the Bible or anything. Um, You know, I I was on the fringes growing up. Like I'd go if they had a basketball game or whatever. So um, my older sister, though, she was a believer. And so she uh we're in the car we're going to detox and uh the detox facility called and said we can't take you because you're we're not medically equipped to handle the withdrawal that you're going to experience and and so at that point i thought you know same as any other time in my life okay well i tried it's over let me out of the car she locked the doors and got on the 401 and said adam god's got a plan and she started praying and and finally, like we started calling every detox treatment in, in Ontario and, uh, you know, busy, busy, full, full, full. 
I finally got the number for this one in London, which is where the treatment center I was going to is going to be. So the detox was in London. And uh, the lady answered, said, yeah, I got a bed available, but you got to come right now. I said, yeah, we're in the car. We're on our way. I said, what's your name? So I know when I get there, her name was Faith. Oh. Her dad helped start the treatment center that I was going to be going to. Like, you know, so I was okay, it's coincidence. It's a coincidence, right? I got there and and uh, I'm sure you've interviewed lots of, like to come off of opiates, fentanyl, you're going to be really sick. I came, I was off 80 mils of methadone cold turkey as well. So I was expecting to get really sick, right? And uh, they held me in observation and uh, I'm in the observation and I, you know, I'm not feeling great, but I'm not really getting sick like I thought I was going to. And so they kept holding me extra thinking like, okay, it's, it's just prolonging. It's coming, it's coming. And uh, finally, I think it was after four or five days, they said, well, we're going to kind of move you over to the other side. It doesn't seem like you're getting sick. I said, yeah, I don't know. I called my older sister who had, who had brought me there. And I said, maybe I didn't even get that sick. And she says, Adam, I was, I was praying for you. And, and, and that right there, that would have been my moment that I just fell to my knees. Okay, God, I don't know what you got going on, but the fact that you brought me out of where I was, you got me here. I didn't get sick. Like God, whatever you got, I'm all in. And I felt the shift, the shift in my perspective, my, my heart grew. And, and just like, I started looking at the people that were working there thinking like, these people aren't here for a paycheck. They're not here for any selfish gain. They're here to help people. Like there's people like this in the world. And, and, and just my perspective on everything really shifted. And, and uh, so when I got to the, the faith-based treatment center, I was all in already. I want to know this God that just brought me out of hell that stopped me from getting sick. Like whoever this guy was, I want to know everything about him. And, and how can I help him? How can I thank him? How can I be more grateful? And, and so I guess that was early recovery. I was still very frail. Uh, I didn't have a lot of energy. Um, you know, my physical was really lacking my ability to focus all these things, but I had a desire. And I had a, a hunger and I had a hope, you know, like so often I'm sure you've talked about that cling to hope of there is light at the end of this tunnel. I can do it. And, and I like the way a lot of treatment centers are structured this way, but they'll pair you up with somebody who's in the end of their program and you're just coming in or you get to see the other guys that are halfway along or three quarters, you know, and they're working out, they're playing sports. They're okay. Okay. Like, you know, and they come and talk to you. Hey, I, I remember when I first got here, man, like I, I know how you feel. So just that the whole thing like was realizing and, and surrendering and, and trusting in the process. So yeah, I, I don't know. I guess that, that was my moment though. That moment I fell to my knees. I know I wasn't going back and I, I wanted whatever God was going to bring into my life. You know, I, I was trusting him because of what he'd already brought me through in that quick, short amount of time. I, mm -hmm. I couldn't thank him enough. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, two aspects of that, that were beneficial for me and helped me develop that foundation was not only number one, you know, finding that belief in a higher power, but also being other people centered. And you touched on this, right? There's so many people that are giving. And I just, I remember in early recovery, always feeling that if I went to somebody, I was going to be a burden, right? It's like, who wants to hear my stories? I'm feeling sorry for myself right now. But what I didn't realize is that when I did that, that was actually being unselfish. And 
I could call somebody who is having a bad day themselves, right, about something in their recovery that might at that point just be a crappy day at work. And here I am, you know, this newbie in recovery, not knowing how to manage my life. Everything seems chaotic and out of control. And all of a sudden I get on the phone and I get to get it out, right? I get that sense of calm. They get me into the solution. But guess what? Now they're not thinking about their problem. They're focused on me, (laughs) right? Exactly. And they're thinking, okay, this girl's got it bad today. Like I need to step in there and teach her the solution, right? Keep her in the solution. And I think that's such a powerful part of recovery. And that's why I love what you guys at Touched by Addiction do because, and on the God thing, I can tell you there's so many times that now when I look back, of course, I didn't want to see it at the time where I'm like, like my best friend from high school, we had grown apart for a little bit when I had gotten into the harder drugs after a really bad time, she had stepped back into my life. Right. And I didn't quite stop then. And then I had another person in my life. Didn't quite stop then. Like I see all, it's like, you know, it's like God's going, okay, here you go. Yeah. Okay. You want to keep going? (laughs) Okay. Well, here you go. Right. And so it's funny when I look back now at how many opportunities and I wouldn't change any of it because I think that experience and what I went through has allowed me to help people today, but it is such a gift. So let's talk about touched by addiction. You know, it's, it's amazing how you guys all met and what you guys do, but how did that relationship develop and what got you involved? Yeah. So we, we did meet him in, in rehab and, uh, I know you talked to Bowden and Bowden and myself, we were roommates on the first day. And so I remember him coming in and he was very similar to me and he's looking around and, you know, and so he says, I don't know, like, cause both of us being f- fentanyl users, like it, it's, it's pretty heavy. Right. And, and a lot of people don't make it. So I, I remember having that conversation our first day, he says, I don't know, man, like I was into some bad stuff and kind of, we, sh- we shared open and honestly, and I, and to see that, we were the, very similar that way. And, and so our relationship formed then, of course, being in the same room and we kind of made that pact. All right, we're going to help each other through this. We're going to get through this together and uh, working out. And, you know, like my family would come to visit and they'd bring Bowden a meal and stuff too. And, 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 and same when I, when his family would come to visit to meet his family and what was going on there. And so, yeah, just really growing and then same as, as Ryan and Carm as well, like to, to spend that amount of time, I always, I I equate it to like going to war, you know, like when you go through a a very difficult time with people, you realize who's loyal, who's authentic, who's, who's going to stay by you. You know, you, your friendship is like fast tracked, (laughs) you know, like, and, and so to spend that time with those guys and really get to know who they are and what they're about. And, and um, so that's kind of how it formed. And then, Bowden, he's got a, he's got an amazing brain. He's very driven. Yes, you're not in your head. Yeah. Anyone who talks to him knows, right? <laughs> and and so to hear some of his thoughts and his ideas, and and he was very uh, focused. And and so some of them, I I never knew if they were going to happen or not. If we were just talking, and and so he, he talked about getting our testimonies out there, um, reaching people, helping people. Uh, like I said, he'd done different uh, charitable things in the past to help to help his country and and some, some really noble things. And, and so to hear about some of these ideas and and discuss them, it it was, it was really cool. And, and so afterwards, um, I, I just, I'm a very networking person. Like I like to keep in contact with people knowing, especially, I guess my experience 
excuse me, my experiences of going to different treatment centers afterwards, losing touch with some of the guys you connect with or, you know, and so this time I really made a point of let's, let's keep in touch. Like, let's kind of continue this battle together, right? You form these relationships and alliances over this year. Let's, let's grow on that. And, and so I'd started this online support group and Bowden started making the sweaters. And, and so we just kind of talked the one day, like I was telling you and said, okay, let's bring it all together. Let's link up, join forces and, and uh, get this going. And, and it just began to take off. Like I, I've done some other podcasts. I know Bowden does as well. Uh, uh, Ryan is, uh, is, is in school to be a pastor. He's, he's starting to speak, like to hear these guys speak publicly. It just blows my mind, you know, like so motivational, so I, I, I inspirational. Like it, it's, it's just amazing to see it unfold. Carmen is like, he's got one of the best hearts ever. He's such a loving person to see you like, yep. you know, already, right? Like you just mm-hmm. meet these guys for five minutes. Um, so yeah, it just, it just kind of really grew from there. We started making networking with different, uh, treatment facilities, different people involved in recovery. Uh, we're all from separate cities. So like for me in my city, I'm going to local shelters. I'm running recovery groups, uh, volunteering at different places, just being out there on the streets and telling people like you can do it. And then to have uh, the organization of Touch by Addiction, you know, raising money, raising awareness to be able, like when I do find people, I, I get in the car, let's go. I'll take you to treatment right now, let's go. And and so we get them in and, 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 and I mean, there's been a few where, the money wasn't even there from the sweaters, you know, cause I mean, it's, it's hard to raise that kind of money. And, and, and we, we put it, Ryan was so good with the social media stuff, put out a post one time and we were able to raise the funds like so quick. And it just blew our minds that now we're, we're kind of, this is here, this is now, right? Like, and, and to be able to kind of help that person possibly change their lives. It's just been amazing. It's, it's an adventure that I'm, I'm so thankful to be on. Uh, and it's yeah again I love what you guys do and you know a couple things like that fellowship I think this is especially you know come this time of year it's very difficult for a lot of people it's difficult for those of us in recovery as well right the holiday season because of all the changes in our lives and some people have gotten dynamics right exactly there's so much there but the reality is and this is something that's really this last couple of years set in is that we're never really alone. When you come into a recovery program, right? Whatever that looks like, you start to build this fellowship. And like you and I, you know, we talked on the phone briefly last week, but this is the first time we're chatting in person and already we have so much in common. I feel like I've known you forever because, (laughs) right? We're never going to run out of things to talk about. And I think that like for anybody that's in recovery, that's struggling this time of year, reach Reach out because you've got something special. I mean, at any time of the day, even I was telling you, I'm going through codependency steps right now. And when I get codependent or I want to hang out with my fiance and he's unavailable, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm in recovery. Like I have lots of people. I can hop on a zoom call. I can go to a meeting. I can call a friend. So I think that's such a gift of just having that fellowship. And the other part is that we're go-getters, right? Like Bowden. I mean, the first time I talked to him, the ideas we came up with, I had a whole, like a whole list of notes of all these plans (laughs) and things that we're going to do and how I'm going to collaborate with you guys. But the reality is, is that those of us who have overcome adversity and or addiction, 
we've got resilience, right? We've yes. made it through hell and back. We have got persistence, right? We're resourceful. <laughs> I mean, when I hear somebody in recovery say, well, I can't do that. All I have to say is when you wanted to get loaded, would you accept no for an answer? And exactly. it's not like they'd be like, oh, okay, I can't get that beer or that drug. I guess I'm fine for today. It's like, no, we would do what it took. So we're go-getters. Yes. <laughs> Creative, resilient. Yes. Strong. I, I, I remember my mom used to say that all the time. Like, and, and that is a big saying in recovery. If you put half the effort into your recovery that you put into to finding your drug or your your fix or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I walk across town with no shoes in the middle of February, right? Like <laughs> you did what you had to do, like you said. So yeah, put that into your recovery. And then the reaching out part, I know we talked about as well to have that community of people where you're never going to be judged. Yeah. You can, you can say whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, no one's going to look down on you. And, and, and there's so many to feel like you're not alone. That's the one thing I loved about recovery, uh, uh, meetings, groups, fellowship is to, is to hear other people speak and share as well. And to be like, wow, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who's felt this way. I'm not the, and then to go to, to add on to that, to hear how other people have found success in, in the, those areas of their life, I, I think is extremely powerful. And like I said, I, I have people that come to our groups that aren't even have never faced a drug addiction, but yet find so much refreshing real authentic sharing and, and and they're blown away they're blown away like it, it's encouraging it's empowering it's 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 one of the the best things we can do so i like that you brought that up absolutely we are capable of so much more than we think and you know my therapist told me don't be afraid to shine right you didn't yes. go you didn't overcome all this to do nothing with it and i'm so grateful. And that's why I'm, uh, you know, grateful that you're on the show today for many reasons, but just the fact that you're willing to share your story open and honestly, because I came from the corporate world, right? I was a, at the end, I was a functioning alcoholic, even though things had just, they were not good. Um, but the reality was, is that I tried to hide it, right? Because I was ashamed of who I was and who I'd become, and I thought, I can't tell anybody. And now I think people are starting to recover out loud a bit more. And yes. it's taking away the stigma. It's taking away the power. And it's like, who cares? Like, you know what? Share that you've been through this. Like, we're pretty cool people in recovery, I have to we're say. You know, I'm not trying cool to people. lack the humility, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Adam, how can, you know, if people want to learn more about what you guys do, how can they support you guys and where can they find you? So you can check out the, the Facebook page. Uh, we always try to post some content on there. Uh, Touched by Addiction Canada. Um, you can always go to the website, you know, touchedbyaddiction.ca or .com now. I think we got our .com. So uh, you can order your sweaters, your t-shirts, your, your hoodies. Uh, we just came out with toques for the winter season. So yeah, definitely any, all proceeds uh, uh, from the merchandise go to, uh, go to supporting somebody's entry into rehab. Like, you know, like, I, like I was telling you, we'll scoop people up, Hey, get in the car, let's go, you know? So that's, that's what we want to see. We want to see people get clean and, and understanding the, the chain reaction that that causes. I mean, look, you're, you're a, a survivor, you're a warrior and, and now you're holding these podcasts, reaching so many others. So that's that's kind of how it works right if each of us could reach just one imagine the the dent we could make so 
so yeah, I, you can support us in, in so many ways. And then as well on the, on the Facebook page, uh, we do the groups on Thursday nights that I was telling you about. So you can see, we'll post a zoom link for those. If you want to come and sit in on a group, uh, even if you don't want to share, you just want to listen in. Um, but obviously you're more than welcome to share. Uh, yeah. That's kind of what we got going on at the moment, but we're ever expanding. I know uh, Bowdoin's working on putting together a speaking team. We want to get out to events. Um, uh, what was the, he's got a couple things in the works, you know, like, like we talked about, he's always got, he's always got stuff going on in that brain of his. So, so be on the lookout for us. We're coming. We, we call it our, our catchphrase or whatever is join the movement. So like you said, recover out loud, be a part of the movement, get your story out there. We're working on a book of testimonies. You know, so you can you could share that with someone who's struggling, like all different walks of life. We got ex-bikers to principals to janitors to, you know, this this disease is not discriminated, it affects everybody. So we want to get our stories out there. We want to give hope. We want to end the stigma. Like you said, we want to shine light. There's just just recover out loud for sure. I like that. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate you sharing your story and I look forward to having you guys back on the show because I think that we need to continue to promote this. We need to continue to help people get into long-term treatment facilities because, you know, the reality is after a month, I mean, I know my head wasn't clear. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much for what you do, Tamara. I, I, I really appreciate it. Well, another story to show you that recovery is possible and not only just recovery but a good recovery followed by an amazing life so I hope you enjoyed that episode and make sure you head on over to their website www.touchedbyaddiction.com and buy a toque buy a hoodie buy a t-shirt support their cause and join the movement and I'll join you tomorrow on the next episode Thanks for listening to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible. It just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.